Good morning, MPC. Turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Genesis chapter 28. It's found on page 22 and 23 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading verses 10 through 22 this morning. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth. To you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ready our hearts as we stand together and sing satisfied. Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Do any of you have any special places that you like to go because of their importance in your life? Perhaps a particular restaurant because it was your first date with your spouse. Maybe it's your childhood home because of sweet memories with your parents. Maybe even it's the perfect beach with crashing waves because of your time alone. For me, a special place was Coker Creek Falls, seven ledges of water cascading in the mountains of East Tennessee. When I left Tennessee, I actually went there and I took this rock, a memorial stone of sorts, because it was a place of significance in my life. It is a symbol of a place full of meaning in my life. Places like these are set apart because of a positive experience there, or could I say, a blessing. 
A place where we may have experienced security or peace or joy. And we want to remember those places because these are good desires. And so we return to them mentally or physically because we want to experience those feelings again. Today's passage shows us that any place can be significant. Any place can become sacred when the Lord meets us there. It could even happen where you're sitting this morning. To pick up the story, remember that Jacob had attempted to get a blessing by pretending to be someone else. At first, it worked But then by the end of chapter 27, his deception was discovered and he had to flee for his life because his brother Esau was seeking to kill him. So in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now it's interesting because it's a 500 mile journey. It's the opposite direction that his grandfather Abraham would have gone 125 years earlier. In some ways, Jacob is going backwards because of the choices that he has made in his life. We see in this text that sin has consequences. Now, it's interesting if you look at verse 11, there's a description of the setting of the sun. And this depicts Jacob's situation Night had caught up with him. Sunset and sunrise are common images of distress and deliverance in the Bible, in literature, in art, in movies. Physical darkness is often emblematic of inner darkness. And the sun is actually not going to rise on Jacob again until Genesis 32 when he encounters the Lord again at the ford of Jabbok. You see, behind Jacob was Esau. Ahead of him was an unknown future, and in between was 20 years of night. Jacob's sin had consequences. And we see those consequences in the details of this story. The first detail we see is that Jacob has Nothing. He is impoverished. Jacob travels without a plan, without price line to purchase a hotel to sleep, without ways to guide him on his camel. He was the tent dweller. Esau was the eagle scout. Jacob was not prepared. And so when the sun went down, he went down. And the text tells us that he stops at a certain place. It's not named because it was a place of no consequence. Again, the physical depicts the reality. A dweller of tents of no consequence, barely making camp in a place of no consequence. He stopped and having nothing, he laid his head on a stone to elevate his head. To say he physically had a stone for a pillow was to say in reality he was penniless. Sin can lead to being impoverished. 
The next detail that we see is that Jacob is by himself. He's isolated. He's making this journey alone. Just a few years earlier, Isaac, his father, Abraham, had sent a servant with lots of other servants on camels to go to the same place, Uncle Laban, to bring back a wife for Isaac. But now Jacob travels alone. He's not used to being in the outdoors and he's traveled for several days now, about 50 miles, and you know what that's like. You're walking on a trail through the hills by yourself and you are alone with nothing else than your own thoughts and reflections. What was he thinking about? Perhaps he had some regret about the choices that he had made. Perhaps he wishes... He could turn back the clock so that he wasn't having to leave his home, his beloved mother. He's lonely. He's lonely because of scheming and deception. He's lonely because of his sin, because of his pride, because of his lying. An important truth here is this. Sin always isolates you. The third detail that we're given in this story is this. Jacob is leaving Beersheba. He is alienated. Now, this is significant because Beersheba was the promised land. This is where the Lord would dwell with his people, where God had made covenant promises to his grandfather, Abraham, and his family. And now, Jacob is leaving the promised land, and so he is having a spiritual crisis. He must be asking, am I also leaving the covenant God. He wanted that birthright so much that he pursued it in the wrong way, but now it seemed as if he was being cut off from God. Jacob goes to sleep as an exile traveling east. Sin always separates you from God. Behind Jacob was Esau with his murderous intentions. Ahead of Jacob was an unknown future. And in between, he is isolated, impoverished, and alienated. Our story is sort of similar. Behind us is the fall of Adam. Ahead of us can be an unknown future. And in between, we also will experience isolation, poverty, an alienation. Sometimes it's because of the consequences of our own choices in our life. And sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world. We encounter pain to different degrees. We may experience impoverishment with work when it doesn't give us what we think it promises. We may experience isolation before and even after we're married. And we may experience separation from people we love because of distance or death. Sin has consequences. It's interesting, Andrew Del Banco of Columbia University pointed out that most of our literature, when focusing on terror, uses abandonment. It plays on the fear that we are isolated and that no one will love us and care for us. Perhaps some of you can imagine the feelings of Jacob being 
impoverished. It may be on the spectrum of just not having the right clothes growing up. Or it may even be that you didn't have enough food to eat. Or you may identify with his feelings of being alienated from the Lord when we think that God has forgotten us because of the circumstances in our life. Or maybe even we deserve it because of our perpetual sin. Jacob is fleeing from his past. He's afraid to move into the future. And the question he's got to be asking, is there any hope for me? It's the same question for us. Is there any hope? The answer, of course, is yes, right? 20 years of night, but 20 years that God was still with him. It starts as a horrible night, frightened of Esau with an unknown future, but we are about to encounter the grace of God. You see, sin had consequences for Jacob. Sin has consequences for this world and for us. But this story reminds us that grace is greater. You see, after Jacob fell asleep, God invaded his consciousness in a dream, and he was surprised by three images and three messages from the Lord. The three images are indicated by the word behold, sort of an exclamation point in Hebrew. The first behold is this. It says, behold, there was a ladder. Now, a better word than ladder would be staircase or stairway. Don't picture a wooden painter's ladder, but rather a massive stone staircase going from earth to heaven. It may have even been a ziggurat. Now, if you're not up on your Mesopotamian architecture, picture a wedding cake with multiple tiers, square, not round, with stairs descending up the sides from the earth to heaven. You know, it's really interesting. The description of Jacob's ladder, the same Hebrew phrase, is used in another place in Genesis. It's used in Genesis 11, where? At the Tower of Babel or Babel. Now, what was happening there? The people were attempting to build a tower to reach to the heavens. And Jacob's vision and Jacob's dream stands in stark contrast for two reasons. Number one, the reason is this, is it was not expected for Jacob. The people were trying to get to God. Jacob is not the prodigal trying to return home to the father. The vision of the staircase was completely unexpected. The second way that it was different is this. Whose tower was it? The tower of Babel was the people's attempting to get to God. But Jacob's vision, it was God's staircase coming to men. A stairway of grace where God comes down into nowhere places to the isolated, to the impoverished, to the alienated people. He comes to us. We don't go to him, and he comes all the way. The second behold is this. It says, behold the angels of God. On this stone staircase, the angels are ascending and descending And don't think of white angels with harps and halos on Hallmark cards. 
Every time an angel appears to someone in the Bible, the first words out of their mouth are, fear not. This was a stunning sight, and it may have even been dozens or hundreds or even thousands of angels ascending and descending, going out into the world, executing the king's decrees, taking the king's message. And the message to Jacob was that God is at work in the world. He's active. God's power is on the move for isolated impoverished, and alienated people. God is at work in the world, Jacob. The third behold may be the most amazing one. It says he beheld the Lord. Now in your text it says the Lord stood above it. And you might think the Lord is standing above the tower. I think a better translation which you see in your footnotes is the Lord stood over him or The Lord stood beside him. Yahweh is present. You see, up until this point in Jacob's life, he only had second-hand knowledge about God. But in this moment, he was encountering the covenant Lord of the universe. And in this moment, God comes to him as a loving Mother standing over a sleeping, vulnerable child and whispers love and assurance to his son. God came to Jacob at his lowest point so that it may be clearly seen that all is grace, unmerited and undeserved favor. God loves to come near the isolated, the impoverished, and the alienated. He knows us. And he loves us. Now after these three images, the Lord speaks three messages to him. Notice what God doesn't say to Jacob. There's no harsh rebuke. There's no commands. There's no chastisement. But only promises of assurance and love as a parent to a child. If God were like me, I would expect him to say, Jacob, you make me sick. After everything that I've done for your family, look at what you've done. If you would have just listened to me, you wouldn't be in this mess. You stay here and you think about your actions. I'm tired of dealing with you. But instead of that, God rains graceful promises on him. He gives him three. The first, he promises him land. He takes care of impoverishment. He comes to Jacob who is no tower builder and city establisher. But only what? An exile on the run sleeping on a rock. And God comes to him and whispers. I will bring you back to the land. You will see your home again. The same whisper in the garden of Eden. When God promises that he will restore Adam and Eve. The same promise he whispers to us about the new heavens and the new earth. I will give you land. The second promise that he gave Jacob was this. He says, I promise you descendants. He takes care of isolation. Jacob, 
You are in the providential care of angels. God says, stop trying to get the blessing and realize you are the blessing. Jacob, through you, the entire world will be blessed because Jesus will come from your lineage. And we see that at Pentecost, don't we? The third promise that God gives Jacob is a promise of himself. He provides for his alienation. He covered his shame and his wickedness saying, I am with you and I will keep you and I will never leave you. This vision is heavenly light piercing darkness. This is a vision of a staircase with angels ascending and descending and the Lord himself. This is Jacob's Damascus road. Though Jacob is a schemer, a heel snatcher, a deceiver, a cheat, God still intends to bless him. You see, sin has consequences. But grace is greater. Don't we all want a relationship like that? Don't we all recognize it when we see it? A friend sent me a newspaper article from the Chattanoogan this week. I'm sure none of you read it. It's a story about a wedding on Valentine's Day that he observed. And it was an unusual wedding because it took place in the conference room of a hospital. And it was very unusual because the groom, who was normally vivacious, gregarious, and cheerful, had been struck by Guyon Berry syndrome. He had lost 30 pounds. He was in a wheelchair, and he had to be pushed down the aisle, and he could barely make any movements. His wife sat beside him. They made their vows. And he said, as he observed this courageous wedding, it was as if he were standing on holy ground. He says, they sang the song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Then we watched the words of the song enfleshed. He says, you see, They were going to get married later, but they decided to do it now while he was most unwell so that she could serve him better. They, like the Savior, decided they would declare each to the other, I am going to love you in your sickness and you can't make me not. That is is what the God of Abraham is saying to Jacob. I am going to love you in your sickness and you can't make me not. I am going to give you covenant promises in the moment that you need it the most so that I can serve you the greatest. This is amazing love. And when we experience that, it changes us. It transforms us. And the question that hopefully all of us are asking is, how can we encounter a God like this? 
You may say, I've been a Christian for my entire life, or at least claim to be, but I've never experienced this type of covenant love. Let me tell you the key to experiencing that covenant love of God. It's found in John chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but I'll tell you the story. In John chapter 1, Jesus is calling his first disciples. And he calls Philip. And then Philip wants to go tell his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. So he goes to Nathaniel and he says, We found the Christ, Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Are you kidding me? And he says, I'll bring you to him. And so he takes Jesus to Nathaniel. And when Nathaniel sees Jesus, he, or when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He was known as the deceiver. A clue. Jesus says, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, how on earth could you know that I was under the fig tree and what I was thinking? Truly, you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, Nathaniel, don't be so impressed. You haven't seen anything yet. And now listen to what Jesus says to him in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he is the stairway. He is the staircase. Notice what he does not say. He does not say there were angels ascending and descending to the Son of Man, but he says the angels were ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is the bridge between sinful, fallen human beings and a holy God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the bridge. You see, a lot of different religions will come up with different steps to get to God. But in Christianity, Jesus has taken all the steps. There is no path to God. There's just a person to believe so when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, when he becomes our stairway to God, then you begin to experience this covenant love that he displayed on the cross. He is the bridge between earth and heaven. He's the ever-present companion to the isolated, the inheritance of the impoverished, and the rock of the alienated. And it is only through Jesus that we can encounter the Lord. And there's only one proper response. When Jacob wakes up, he doesn't say, wow, look at all the real estate I get. What does he say? He says, God was in this place and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? Friends, do you have any special places that you like to go because they are significant in your life? You may remember my rock. You may think it's sort of foolish. It can be. But you see, you and I, we don't need this rock 
because we have the perfect rock. You see, Jesus was anointed. He was the anointed rock. And the way that we experience, the way that we behold the love of the Father is to look at the Son of God. The Lord is God calling you to trust him and to follow him. Rise up, wake up, and anoint the Lord's Son. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know too well the consequences of our sins or the consequences of being the sons and the daughters of Adam and Eve. Father, we look around the world and we see poverty. We look around the world and we see isolation and broken relationships in families and friends. And we know that this is because we are alienated from you. Father, as we rehearse this story in our final song, may we be reminded that though we were lost in darkest night, that the sun had set, you looked upon our helpless state, and you led us to the cross. Father, in these moments, help us to behold God's love displayed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.